What is up, you lumps of Liberty Love Butter? Welcome to ELL 221. Uh, this episode, guys, brought to you by the brand new podcast, Paul's to the Wall. Mike and Nick Paul, two libertarian brothers who actually have interviewed me. I think it was me and Mark, maybe Odie. I can't remember. Maybe it was just me. <laughs> the, the best show. But we've been on their show before. Love these guys. They're funny. They're very well informed. They've had guests on, including Scott Horton, Gene Epstein, Pete Quinones, Jason Stapleton, Matt Erickson, and as I mentioned, yours truly. All also, guys, they talk not just about politics, but also bring in some experts about topics like history, cars, jujitsu, music, even barbecuing. If you want to learn how to uh, toss a nice drumstick on there and not overcook it. Pause to the wall, guys. Check it out. Any of the major podcast platforms. Again, that's Pauls to the wall. P-A-U-L-S to the wall. Give them a listen. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. There's a man we were so, and time is the oldies, Joe Biden. Stairway to heaven. When he stumbles, he knows his diapers won't hold, and hunters ODing in the bathroom. Oh, he's Joe Biden, a stairway to heaven. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, episode 221, everybody. That was, I know, very short rendition of uh, Joe Biden, A Stairway to Heaven by yours truly. And I kept it very short because that song's a little slow and a little long. And also, I don't want to be sued. <laughs> I don't want YouTube to pull the content off uh, from our page when we publish there. So there you go. But man, <laughs> God, you know, I don't know. It's one of those things watching Joe Biden fall up the stairs, not once, not twice, but three times where I don't know whether or not to laugh or cry. I don't know whether or not I should just openly mock the man uh, for reenacting the scene from a Christmas story where Ralphie and Randy trip up the stairs uh, running to get ready for, uh, for Christmas Eve. But my God, it really does make Joe Biden look awful. I mean, Jesus. And you've had people... You know, some people in the mainstream media are are very frankly saying this man looks bad. You know, like the one of the uh, doctors for the past, I think three of the past few presidents that we've had said this just the way they're hiding him, the way that he interacts, watching him fall up the stairs. It's really indicative that something is majorly wrong with this dude. And we know that they're hiding him from the media. We know he has still not done a press conference to this day, you know, he's been in office where they would have been calling for Trump's head on a pike if Trump had hidden from the media for so long. But Joe Biden is given a pass because obviously the corporate overlords are all in that same camp. So they will not be pushing the issue. But wow, man, I don't know. I think the Kamala Harris era is almost upon us because I just don't see how they can keep pushing him out there like this. If he's going to be stumbling and bumbling uh, like nobody's biz. 
And it had been a tough week for old Uncle Joe, old creepy smelling children's heads Uncle Joe up until uh, very recently, where you could argue it's been an even worse week for the country at large, considering the shootings that just happened. We had the one shooting in Atlanta, which was initially labeled as a racist attack against Asians. Of course, we saw hilariously Kamala Harris was listed as our first black president or black vice president uh, female and now is listed as our first Asian American vice president female. You know, she can play the race card either way, folks. But we have this shooting now that just happened, the first one in Atlanta, and now the second one that just happened, which occurred in Boulder, Colorado, right? And then that happened by a man who was of Muslim origin. Uh, they just released his name, although I'm not going to say it because, frankly, I don't feel like touting the names of, uh, of mass shooters. But that shooting has really given a lot of cover. And I'm not saying that this is a conspiracy. I'm not saying the Democrats put this guy up to it or anybody else. But the timing is very convenient for the national discussion to go off of Joe Biden falling up the stairs three times. The tree preet. Tree preet. <laughs> it's like when you hit the uh, the cycle. It's like Joe Biden hit the falling up the stairs cycle. But it takes attention off him falling up the stairs. Gives him a chance to not take a press conference again and instead to just issue statements and also takes focus off of the border. Because up until this point where these shootings have occurred, conveniently, there was finally some outrage coming back around to the people that outreach should have been placed on to begin with. Namely, the all these children in migrant camps and children separated from their parents started under Obama. All the pictures that came out were from the Obama era. People wanted to blame Trump and somehow eviscerate him, even though, in my opinion, there's not a good solution to this. The only solution I could think of is to end the welfare state so that these people don't have an incentive to ship their kids over here and try to get citizenship by virtue of having their child here, re reuniting, or even have the, the down-the-road plan of uh, naturalization and then popping a baby out, having been born here, in order to stay in the country. But we had Donald Trump at least tried to speed up the processing of the system in which he put some more judges down there and tried to have cases sped up so that they're either being deported or being uh, granted amnesty. Of course, the problem is now when you've got a Biden administration, which doesn't want to enforce a lot of that, they don't, don't really want to have the Trump position of deportations anymore, but they're still doing all of the same tactics. They're still separating children. And I think, honestly, it's something that has to be done because you don't know what children actually belong with what people coming across. They say it's their child or their parent. You don't know if that's true. We have ample examples of sex trafficking. We have ample examples of coyotes bringing children across alone. And then you don't know where these people's parents are. You know, these kids' parents are. Half the time, they're saying they don't even want them back. I was just reading an article about this recently where the parents say, we don't want that kid back. Okay, now what do we do? We're on the hook. For these, these kids, you know, now it's just, we are the orphanage of the world. Send us every child you have, you know, under the Biden administration. I guess we just take them all in. Now we put them in the overburdened foster care system. And as I've said many times on this show before, children coming out of foster care, unless they have some very special attention paid, unless they have an exceptional amount of, of uh, services provided to them. And I you know, mentioned I work with an organization named CASA, Corner Appointed Special Advocates that provides a lot of this personalized care, 
These kids have horrible outcomes. They end up in the prison system. Something like 40, 50% of children that are in the prison system had been in foster care. Drug overdoses, sex working, you know, sex trafficking. The outcomes are not pretty. So is that what we're trying to encourage? So this has been a huge border crisis now, and it's worse now than it was under Trump for obvious reasons. You have people flooding the border because they know there is now administration in place that is super friendly towards the immigration population. And of course, you have H.R. 1 on the books, wherein the Democrats want to basically give free reign for illegals to be able to vote in our elections, even though they're not supposed to. But there's no penalty for them taking part in that. There's no prison time. There's no fines. There's no anything. And every single person is automatically mailed a ballot. Predictable crisis. And of course, there's a humanitarian crisis now. Because you have way too many people, not enough facilities. You have way more children now being separated than ever before. And you have a Joe Biden and his administration and uh, Jen Psaki or whatever, good old lion Jen up there telling people that the border's closed, that there's no media access. So AOC can't go stage a weepy photo that's probably nowhere even near an actual migrant camp anymore, nor did she try. And you have the mainstream press half-heartedly trying to do some sort of reporting on it because there are still some activists that have a moral compass and don't just shift according to the way the wind is blowing politically and who's in power. But the Biden administration was saying, no, there's no access to anybody. Finally, this week, some news breaks. Finally, the DHS releases some photos from these facilities and they are predictably awful. But just in time, to save Joe from having to address these issues, to stop the what would have, without a doubt, been a week of questioning about his mental state, his mental stability, his physical ability to perform in the office of president. Just as we would have a week of questioning about what the fuck is going to be done at the border during this ongoing crisis and flood of migrants coming across. Ah, we got two shootings. And you know, the Democrats, they love themselves a good mass shooting, boy. Oh, boy, they can't get enough mass shootings. It gives them the out to fall back on the trite bullshit that they have been pitching forever. Namely, that we have to go deep into gun control, that everybody's got to have a massive background check. Now, the new background check bill they propose is more of the same, as is the Dianne Feinstein you know, the, the Wicked Witch of the West is Dianne Feinstein, who another person, just like Joe Biden, who literally falls asleep during meetings. You know, she can't get through a senator. I think she fell asleep like during a swearing in of, of a, a Supreme Court justice recently. But she's out there throwing out a bill which would make illegal some 205 different firearms because these are quote unquote assault weapons. So just in time, like Superman flying down out of the sky, it's mass shooting man here to save the Democrats once again. So they can turn their attention away from the real crises, crises, which they have created and brought upon themselves and instead can turn their attention on how we need to ban all quote unquote assault weapons. Something that would immediately make half of Americans into felons something that's completely unenforceable unless you're going to go door to door and confiscate people's weapons. And even if you're saying we have to ban these new sales and there have been 
I mean, there's already been measures put into place in a lot of states. Like in California, there's already these measures, one which is ruled unconstitutional, limiting how many, uh, how much ammo you could have in your magazines. That was ruled in unconstitutional. I th- still think you can't get a magazine that holds like 12 bullets here. And they put all these things in, you know, these hand guards in so you can't pull the trigger fast enough. You can't hold the gun properly. Just, you know, ridiculous things. But of course, now they want to go out and beat the drum because this guy, this, you know, this Muslim guy who, you know, it's kind of funny to watch the uh, the coverage turn. But this Muslim guy was able to get a firearm, an AR style firearm, which I think has been confirmed now. They were uh, saying that he used an assault rifle previously. I just before recording this finally saw a confirmation of that in that he was able to buy a gun, an AR style weapon, and now he had shot up a bunch of people. Now, I don't see what proposed solution you have to somebody getting a gun if they don't have a background history. If they passed a background check, I don't see how you're going to go ahead and stop any of these things unless it's the Democratic final solution of take everybody's guns. And in an era wherein they've taken away your freedom, your ability to operate a business, your ability to send your children to school, your ability to go out and freely purchase goods for like food, for fuck's sake. They've shut down supply lines, which are now crumbling and an era in which they're putting massive inflationary costs on everything. And that's coming. Seeing a lot, a lot, a lot of reports about how much inflation is coming around the bend because of the impact of the COVID lockdowns on supply lines, how the costs are going to be coming home to roost for the shutdowns, for having gas prices. You've already seen your gas prices skyrocket. You're going to see those hard costs now get passed through to your grocery bills and everything else that you need for a good living. But anyway, so now they're, of course, they're saying ban everything. But you know, like I said, we've, we're in this COVID era, right? We're also in an era where we saw riots for weeks, for months, Portland is still burning. We saw an anonymous zone or autonomous zone pop up in Seattle that the cops did nothing to to break or enforce any sort of rule of law for a month plus where six people got shot. So you have had a record surge in Americans purchasing firearms now. And now because of these two shooting instances, right? And we've got a quite a long time without having one of these things. But now because of these two disparate instances in two different places, we now have the Democrats once again talking about banning guns and taking back all these different firearms and making them illegal and all these different measures and steps. So what do you think is going to happen to all those Americans that just bought a gun for the first time? And it was surging like something like to an unbelievable amount. You know, gun sales had in record months like months after months, six months in a row, record high sales, record high gun license registrations, record high background checks, all of the above. So that actually gives me a little bit of confidence that this shit will not fly, that these Democrats can talk this up because they're happy to have some distraction. These gleeful demons have a happy distraction for them away from the Biden mistakes and missteps and everything else they're trying to do that's undermining a basic society. Now they've got this to crow about, but I think Americans are going to tell them to blow it out their ass. When you have this many people get a gun, when you have the ever-present threat of government, 
looms so large over people's lives for an entire year, when you have people living in fear because there's rioting on the streets that no one is doing shit about, people destroying businesses that were already hit by COVID, and the cops are standing down, and the, and the, and the military is doing nothing. You know, the National Guard is doing nothing because governors were telling them that they don't want their help. Again, Seattle, Portland, etc. No matter how you might feel about deploying the National Guard, if somebody's burning down my city, if there are mobs of violent people in the streets breaking windows and burning down buildings around my house, please bring in some National Guard. Because I've got two guns and I'm worried about some people storming my gates. <laughs> So anyway, fortunate timing for Joe Biden. I think we can all agree. And, uh, you know, we'll see if this turns out to be another instance of, you know, this weirdo kind of solo loner Muslim guy. Um, if he was actually encouraged by the FBI, we'll see. You know, half the time, that seems to be how these things turn out. Usually it's with bombs that the FBI and the, and, and the NSA, oh, well, we solved this crime. You know, pre-crime, we we identified a guy. It's like Tom Cruise. You got the FBI back there, except instead of doing a thing on like a big board wearing, you know, visors, they're just flipping through Instagram looking for fucking loner losers who happen to like a post by uh, by some Muslim cleric back in the day. So they encourage him to become violent. They encourage him along his way. They radicalize him. And then, bam, we got him. Although this guy clearly uh, got to the store first. So. Not to make light of a horrible situation, but like I said, the timing is very favorable for the Democrats to avoid having to address the. So here's something real interesting I want to talk about for just a couple minutes is, uh, so Matthew Butts, a lot of you guys probably know from uh, the Mises caucus, he's out here, he's been a fan of the show for a while. Um, He sent me this news link, which I had had no idea about, uh, about what they're calling the Crypto Six, Right. And this is basically Free Talk Live, which is a radio station or a radio a kind of podcast that was rebroadcast on uh, on Liberty Talk FM, which was, I don't know, I don't think we're rebroadcast on there anymore. I know back in the day we used to be for a while. But on Tuesday the 16th, federal agents kicked in the doors at Free Talk Live studio in New Hampshire and their Bitcoin embassy, and I guess there was something else called the Shire Free Church, and arrested six people. They also confiscated the Bitcoin ATMs that they had at the studio and at the embassy and at the Shire Free Church. And they arrested basically the the guys that hosted the show, uh, which is Ian. Let's see. Let's see. It's Ian and Mark. I'm looking at who actually got arrested. So it looks like maybe Mark wasn't arrested there, but Ian Freeman definitely was. And then they arrested five other people, Colleen Fordham, Renee Spinella, Andrew Spinella, a guy named Nobody, they say formerly Richard Paul, and Aria DeMezzo, formerly James Baker. And they're charging them with money laundering and operating a continuing financial crimes enterprise, also operating an unlicensed money transmitting business. So this is a little bit what I was afraid of with this whole Bitcoin thing in the begin with, because you now have the federal government getting involved, saying that these people have committed, you know, wire fraud and money laundering because they had dared to offer people an alternative way to get Bitcoin, right? This is according to the indictment. Since 2016, defendants have operated a business that enabled customers to exchange over $10 million in fiat currency for virtual currency and charging a fee for their service. 
They operated their virtual currency exchange business using websites as well as operating virtual currency ATM machines in New Hampshire. That they knowingly operated these currency exchange businesses in violation of federal anti-money laundering laws and regulations. So they're saying that also they open you know bank accounts of purported religious entities and engage in efforts to evade detection and and I don't know all this other shit. To me, this is kind of what I was worried about when it comes to federal government getting involved with Bitcoin to begin with, because I was thinking, how are they going to go about stopping this? Like I did a whole episode talking about how is the government going to get involved? Well, that was one of the ways, one of the dangers is by saying that this is money laundering, because now you're going to say that anybody that's giving, I mean, look, if I want to exchange my Bitcoin, like I own some Bitcoin, I wish I owned more, like we all do. But if I want to exchange it, I have to go through you know, a licensed exchange where none of them used to be licensed, by the way. You know, this is a new thing that the government's introduced. But now I have to go through the exchange, sell it. because It's a whole rigmarole, right? I would actually like to have a simple service where I can either buy or sell Bitcoin quickly and easily to take cash out as needed without having to go through these, you know, these third-party services uh, that are kind of monolithic at this point and involve me jumping through all sorts of hoops like I was trying to get back into my, uh, oh God, what's the one? Not Coinbase, but Bittrex or Binance. And it was like, you would have thought that I was trying to, to sneak into the country illegally. It's much more, it's much easier to sneak into the country illegally, actually, than to get back into my fucking account that they had locked because I didn't use it in a little while. To take up six photos facing different directions and the sky has got to be filled with uh, both Jupiter and Mars at the same time. One of them has to be in retrograde. It's fucking ridiculous. But to say that these people can't offer an exchange rate for what is not a fucking currency overseen by the U.S. government, nor never, nor it should ever be. It is at this point in my mind, completely insane for the U.S. government to say that there is money laundering going on or be able to enforce that practice based upon something that is to their, as far as the government is concerned, virtually nothing, Right. It was a it's this is a currency that's out there, a digital currency, a worldwide digital currency that the government is now enforcing people to live by the license clause you know, invented over the last year and a half, basically, by the U.S. government. And now they're going to kick people's doors in and enforce them and throw them into jail and charge them with all sorts of things under the sun because they dare provide people with a simple service. This is the danger that we face when we try to bring in a different currency. I mean, the same thing happened when people had gold alternatives. You know, you have people saying that you're no longer to own gold and silver. Well, that may just well happen with Bitcoin, especially as it goes up in value. But I don't know. At this point, it certainly is worrisome. And again, this just happened. So I'm kind of, I'm going to keep tracking this as it goes along. You can go and help these people out. There is a, um, a kind of a Kickstarter they're going to help them out. Uh, if you go to the crypto number six.com, you can, I guess, contribute to a, a flip starter to help with legal fees and, and everything else. But God damn, man, this is just absolutely crazy. I mean, I think about all the, all the Bitcoin ATMs that I see out and about in the wild and, you know, are they going to start kicking people's doors in and seizing those? <laughs> Maybe there's a different licensing regimen. I just really don't know. I did not think that this was something that the cops would be would be uh, enforcing at this point in time. It certainly is terrifying. All right, what next on the agenda today? Let's see. Again, so much shit to talk about. Oh, real quick, I want to talk about how 
Congress is trying to make a federal law out of the garbage that basically submarined the gig economy in California and which the people unanimously, well, not unanimously, 70% of the population in California just voted to get rid of. It was called AB5 here in California. And that was the wall, but it basically limited how much you could do in a gig economy, right? So people that were writers had a limit of writing 15 articles a week, you know, or not, not even that. It's like 15 articles a year, basically eliminating their ability to be competitive. Mass layoffs occurred. I think some famously some companies like BuzzFeed and Vox had laid off massive amounts of staff in California because they now not only could these people not legally write letters or write, you know, their their articles on uh, the top 10 ways you can fuck a cat, but <laughs> click on this and ask me how. So not only that, but also this bill had put into place the demands made by the California legislator and the, and the most progressive morons among them that these people be paid like full-time employees, that they get their 401ks and they get their health care and they get everything else, which basically just makes it economically unfeasible to pay these people. And the same thing applied for Uber and Lyft, which was completely mad because the people driving Uber and Lyft don't even want to be full-time employees for the most part. You hardly ever meet an Uber or Lyft driver that is a full-timer because frankly, the whole concept is based around you log in when you want, you log off when you want, you make your own hours, you can jump on when it's more beneficial with surge pricing, you can jump back off again. It's a secondary or, or secondary uh, source of income type of gig. And by demanding that companies pay them like they're full-time employees, that All that assures is that you're going to have far less drivers. You're going to have far less people that can do the job because people would have to quit their old job to start a new job working for Uber or Lyft full-time. And also that it's going to be full-time surge pricing all the time. So basically, it just seemed like a gig to, or a, a establishment way to try to destroy Uber and Lyft and pump back up the taxi industry. So now you've got the PRO Act, P-R-O Act, which, of course, has been pushed forward by labor unions working in conjunction with the Democratic shills that are their best friends. And you have components from the AB5 bill ported right into this garbage, specifically something called the ABC test. And this, I'm pulling this from a Reason article that uh, came out on the 11th. So I'm a little bit behind here, but that's what happens when you have guests on the show. So this ABC test, right, basically has three rules. And this, this dictates whether or not somebody is a freelance contractor or a full-time employee. And the following three conditions must all apply to uh, somebody classifying them as a freelancer and not a full-time employee, right? Number one, the worker is free from the control and direction of the hiring entity in connection with the performance of the work. Okay, so I guess that means that you're not allowed to take direction like for an Uber or a Lyft. You're not allowed to take directions uh, from the employer if they say, hey, you know, we want you to focus on this area. Fine. But how does that work out if you're a freelance writer? Right. You're always going to have an assignment on what you're supposed to be doing or writing about. So number one, idiotic to begin with. Number two, the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. What? So <laughs> you, if you're performing work outside the course, so you're doing nothing to, that has anything to do with the business, that makes you a freelancer rather than a full-time employee. And if you're doing anything that falls within the course of the business or the business, uh, the logical business path that a company would take to make money and provide a service, you are now automatically a full-time employee. Okay. That's number two. 
Number three, the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business at the, at the, of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. I don't even know what to make of that sentence, to be honest. I've read it twice now. The worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as that involved in the work performed. I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just tired. My brain can't wrap itself around that sentence. Maybe somebody can tweet it at me because that I've read it three times now. I don't know what the fuck it is trying to tell me. I, and if you're an employer, I guarantee you don't either. So who makes out best from this? Well, labor, labor lawyers, clearly. The unions, clearly, because they're throwing this wide net, which just like in California, basically encapsulates every single fucking worker in any industry that has freelancers and makes them into full-time employees. Now, not only this stuff, right? Not only is it demanding that these people be treated as employees and have all the benefits, the paid time off and all that other crap, but not only that, it also just sneakily, they love to work this in there. It also stops people from having the choice of whether or not to join trade unions. There's a measure in this bill that says that employers can't sit you down, right, and keep you captive. Even though they're paying you for the hours, they can't tell you, hey, don't join a union because if we do, we're going to fire you. Or here's the disadvantages to joining a union. The bill prohibits employers from doing any of that, right? They can't argue against the unions, not on company time. However, it also says that you must be encouraged to join a union because there's these bills on, on basically unions have, for those of you who don't know, unions have in some states the ability to force you into joining the union, right? Because they're saying that you're a free rider and that the union has argued and, and fought for all these benefits and thus you have to be forced into joining that union because otherwise you're taking advantage for free when all these other people have already been fucked over and had their wages garnished by the unions to fight for your rights to party. So this would essentially, on a federal level, mandate that you have to join the unions. Get rid of those right-to-work laws, right? And they're even the funny thing is, they call it the PRO Act, right? Which stands for Protecting the Right to Organize Act. So it sounds on the surface, just like all these bills do, oh, yeah, no, it's great. We're just letting people con you know, get together. We want to make sure that unions can unionize if they want, and there can't be any practice put in a place to stop that. But that's not what it is. It is literally a cronious bill written by politicians who have their hands in deep in the union's pockets as a device to push people into unions and give them no recourse otherwise. And if there's one thing that I hate, it's not having any recourse. But that's why I love having a recourse as to whether or not I want to smoke cigarettes or vape. And that alternative, that recourse to smoking, to vaping, is a little thing that we like to call Zipix nicotine-infused toothpicks. They have been a longtime sponsor of the show, and I encourage everybody to check them out using, by the way, if you go to ZipixToothpicks.com, using new promo code ROAR, R-O-A-R, ROAR like a lion. The lion code no longer works, guys, so make sure to use ROAR when you go to ZipixToothpicks.com. But you can get these toothpicks that are nicotine-infused. They come in about eight different awesome flavors. Mocha, sweet whiskey, sweet wood, uh, spearmint. It's just really delicious flavoring, and they give you that buzz, right? You got that hand-to-mouth feel, just like you would be vaping or smoking a cigarette. You get two milligram or three milligram strength in your toothpicks. And these things are, you know, these were developed 
in a lab. They are FDA registered. You're not getting a, a product that's made off in the backwoods somewhere. You're getting a real product here. I've used them a ton. They are a hit. When I go to bars, I pop one in. If I'm having a drink and relaxing, I pop one in. People always say, what is that? This is amazing. Sign me up. Not only that, but they also have the B12 caffeine infused toothpicks, which I love. I just got another packet. I got another 200 of them actually just came in the mail the other day because I go through these things because they really help me with hangovers or just giving me kind of like a little bit more energy to start my day. You know, I'm chasing my little baby girl around in the morning. I might not have had the best night of sleep. So these B12 toothpicks really help. They have a little caffeine in there too. Anyway, check them out. They are fantastic. Zippix, Z-I-P-P-I-X, toothpicks.com, promo code ROAR. All right, coming back in the show notes, by the way, guys, at lionsofliberty.com slash episodes slash ELL221. I couldn't laugh hard enough that the Biden administration had fired like five employees for using marijuana in the past. Can you imagine something more ridiculous to fire somebody over in 2021? For fuck's sake, we're to the point where... I think something like 75% of Americans want marijuana legalized federally. Legalize it federally, right? Sell it like it's fucking tobacco. Sell it like it's alcohol. Legalize it. And Joe Biden and cop Kamala Harris fire five employees of the White House for past marijuana uses. Not like they open up the, you know, the Oval Office door and there are just people sitting around smoking dubes. You know, blowing smoke rings in the air and uh, coming on Biden's desk. <laughs> you guys, did you guys hear that story, by the way? In Australia, there was a Facebook group where they would post sexual things. Like, there were the, the most, uh, ins- like, I don't know, saucy one was that one male parliamentarian in Australia took a video of himself jerking off on a female colleague's desk. Now, that is terrible. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that anybody should be jerking off on anybody else's desk. But eh, it's kind of funny. It cracked me up. But that's not what Joe Biden fired these people for. He didn't fire anybody for jerking off anywhere. And if he did fire anybody, of course, this is the heavy irony of this. He's pushing work to his son, his drug-addled, heroin, cocaine, marijuana-using, fucking porn stars, hiring six strippers to come to his room and bang him in orgies, going to China and having sex with you know children. Well, I can't say that. According to certain pictures found, allegedly underage girls in China. He has no problem pushing that motherfucker work. Here you go, Hunter. Have another $10 million. Hey, make sure you get on this board of that another oil company, buddy. You're doing a great job there, champ. It'll bang up stuff. No problem giving that guy work. But God forbid you like to smoke weed in the past in the Joe Biden administration. He will can your ass in a second. And Kamala Harris won't say shit. She'll cackle in the background as even though she admits that she smoked pot in the past, Kamala Harris has nothing to say about it. She's too busy offering words of inspiration to the Asian American community out there in these, uh, in these tough times for them. Meanwhile, you know, again, nothing to say about the children on the border. She'd been asked whether or not she would visit the border. She just laughed. And this woman is a sociopath. Anyway, I just, I couldn't, couldn't get over how funny that was and the irony of that situation. Um, one thing I want to talk about as well as we come back into it. So there's an interesting bill that the Republicans are pushing forward, right? And basically, 
This bill ties into something that I had warned about tying into the Chinese social credit score and also banking and how the banking is handled in China, wherein if your social credit score is not high enough, you have trouble getting a loan. You have trouble traveling. You have trouble getting access to things. So we've seen that be adopted here in America. And I warned about this several shows ago, how this is something that we all have to to keep a very close eye on and how to me bleeds across from it goes farther than, okay, well, a private company could do what they want, right? We need to stop accepting that premise because simply we can't, when you have a world in which you have government tied in so closely with giant corporations where the rules are being written to favor these corporations at behest of the lobbyists, in which case small businesses and alternative businesses that might be able to offer in a, uh, a competing product to somebody like a libertarian or a conservative who doesn't want to toe the woke line, well, they're being forced out of existence. We saw this happen with Parler, and we've seen how with the re- banking regulations coming into play, all these quote-unquote protective banking regulations, how it's almost impossible for smaller financial institutions to start up because the regulatory costs, the legal costs, are absolutely astronomical. So Republicans have put a bill together which aims to fight the discrimination by legal institutions based upon, quote unquote, woke culture. Right. So this is put forth by, uh, let's see, Kevin Kramer, uh, Republican out of North Dakota and Andy Barr out of Kentucky. And they're introducing the Fair Access to Banking Act. Quote, banks should be making lending decisions relying on objective risk-based metrics, not the standards of woke corporate cancel culture. Our legislation codifies the Fair Access Rule to ensure that radical environmentalists, gun control advocates, and other political activists cannot weaponize financial institutions in their fight to achieve their political agenda. Now, like I said, I you know I, I'm caught a little bit between the rock and the hard place here because I don't like any federal legislation that says you must you know lend or you can't lend based upon this, that, and the other because it opens up a little bit of a can of worms insofar as if somebody's denied a bank loan, if somebody's denied a, uh, a you know a loan for their business, they could go and get a lawsuit together and say, well, I'm only being by basically being uh, condemned for having views that are pro guns or pro uh, life or you know whatever it might be, anti woke bullshit. That is a major worry to me. But at the same time, there does seem to be some need for this when we have a culture in which we're seeing deplatforming of people like the Alex Joneses of the world, where you're seeing Donald Trump, the goddamn president of the United States, former president of the United States, has his funding his ability to do transactions pulled just completely vaporized over the course of 24 hours. You know, after the Capitol riots, people pulled all these, you know, like straight pulled out. So no longer could he get access to his finances to, to sell Trump hats or MAGA gear. You know, people pulled up like Citibank said they wouldn't process donations for him. That shit is terrifying. I mean, I don't see a way around this because like I said, there's no competitive market that can spring up when you have the government already working to keep competition out of the marketplace. So the way I'm looking at this is something that is a necessary evil at this point in time, because things don't seem to be getting better. They don't seem to be progressing back the other direction quite yet. Now, maybe I'm wrong, 
Maybe this will all resolve itself. Maybe some startup financial institutions will, will spring up. Maybe they're, maybe they'll go offshore and be able to lend people money wherever, and they won't be outside the purview of the U S government, uh, to try to enforce anything upon them. But it certainly would be a hell of a lot easier just to be able to use the current bank that we have in place that I already have my money at and which I already have loans set up with without fear of having them cancel my fucking mortgage uh, because I happened to cross some woke line or make a remark on Twitter that offended somebody on the left that then reported me to the banking Gestapo. So empirically, I think this bill is either a good thing to put in place, despite the fact that it does offer a lot of drawbacks and as far as people bringing lawsuits to the table. But at the same time, just the sheer existence of the bill hopefully will scare some of these institutions into stopping this ridiculous game of woke whack-a-mole that they've been playing. You know, I didn't get a chance to talk about the whole flap with Tucker Carlson, by the way, and women in the military in these flight suits. And really, it's gone far enough past the news cycle, which I don't really have a lot to offer into it. Uh, I thought Jason Stapleton did a good breakdown of being a you know military man himself and talking about how really it's rely on combat effectiveness. But that's why I wanted to weigh in with this one interesting little story, which is that the Army's pulled the pin. It says Army pulls the pin on gender neutral combat fitness tests and creates separate tiers for men and women. That to me seems a bit idiotic because, you know, Jason's point when he's talking about this issue is all I want, you know, if I'm out there. And this is a point that's been echoed, by the way, by military, you know, a woman who was a military member out there taking the point that Tucker Carlson is some sort of demon monster. But she had said, look, I just want to make sure that people have got my six and that's all that should matter, right? Your effectiveness in combat is all that should matter. So to me, the army all of a sudden saying, well, we're going to have different standards for men and women, as far as getting into the infantry. And remember, famously, they had lowered the standards. I think it was for the Citadel to get into the Citadel. There was a certain fitness test that they adjusted the standard for that. That is stupid. I mean, this sounds like something that could literally cost people lives. Not that I'm a fan of much of what our military does, but a lot of people that sign up for the military aren't signing up to, to go overseas and, you know, mow down children in Syria for the sake of uh, pretending that we need the oil over there. I think most people just sign up because they're either conned into it, they're you know brainwashed into it, they don't have a lot of other options, or maybe they just want to travel. But either way, combat effectiveness should be a set standard. You know, there's a certain speed at which you need to move across the battlefield. There's a certain level of skill that you have to display with your rifle, with your physical fitness, with your strength, with your ability to carry these weapons for long distances, with your ability to carry, uh, I don't know, goods and services, stack sandbags, whatever it might be. So you're telling me that it's a good idea then to eliminate a solid, stable standard for somebody, man or woman, that you have to meet in order to be field capable? That's just fucking idiotic. I mean, really, at the end of the day, anybody should be able to do it if you can do it. By setting different standards, you are setting people up. Just it's like the lowered, the lower, you know, the what do they call it? The racism lowered expectations. This is the same thing playing out, but in a life or death situation. It's like when we see standards, like like Thomas Sowell always talks about, where you have the lowering of academic standards to get more black people into. <laughs> kicking trash cans, getting more black people into MIT or getting more black people into Harvard Law School. And then you have people that are not quite ready to be there coming in in the bottom 10% of their class. Why? 
Oh, because they weren't ready to be at that level yet. And you lowered the standard for entry just for them and then threw them into this fucking deep end of the pool and expected them to know how to swim right away. This is pure stupidity. But now we are literally seeing it play out within the military. You know, maybe they're not concerned about it. Maybe they're just saying, it's all going to be robots and drones from here on out anyway, guys. Don't worry. All we need to do is have the women prove that their thumbs can move as fast as the men to drop bombs on children and weddings, and we'll be good to go. But for me right now, if there still is some sort of ground-based combat, if you still do need to walk through the woods huffing, puffing with a big satchel of ammunition and holding a rifle and have to have a certain stamina level and move at a certain speed... Otherwise, you might get shot, ambushed, killed, whatever else the uh, the downside of joining the military might be. This is something very dangerous. Woke is literally going to cost somebody their life here. I can virtually guarantee you. All right, let's wrap this episode up focusing on the title of the episode. See how I, liked, I sucked you in with the title of how the filibuster is racist now? And I saved it to the very end because I'm a dick and that's what I do. But let's get into it. Now, You might be wondering, where the fuck does the filibuster being racist come from, right? And now I'm sure you've all heard the Democrats really are into taking out the filibuster because they're all about it, right? All about taking this filibuster out, all about, and and I can't say it's just the Democrats because the Republicans have done this too. They're both all about lowering the standards and all the checks and balances that have been put in place for a very specific reason, right? Right. When we had the Senate, when we have the Congress, we have approving Supreme Court justices, we have all these, these different measures in place, right? They required a certain threshold of a vote, usually a two-thirds majority, because these are important positions. Supreme Court justices, yeah, you know, you'd, you probably want more people to agree on that than disagree, right? But of course, I guess these, these checks and balances to make sure that there was more or less agreement on a candidate that was going to sit in office for the rest of his life or her life. Well, they must have been vetted in a time before the politics had really rotted people's brains, before the theater reached this see, you know, this fever pitch, screeching re-level of we can never work with the other side. They are the demon. They are the, the evil incarnation of everything in society that is evil and wrong and sexually deviant. Of course, that would be in the case of Brett Kavanaugh and all the allegations they throw against him. So the Republicans had gotten rid of, I believe it was the Republicans, of the two-third vote and made it a a clean majority vote to get Supreme Court justices. The Democrats, a few years before that, had erased uh, the the two-thirds majority, I think, for federal appointments on other levels. And now you've got the Democrats coming in again and saying, well, we should get rid of the filibuster so that we can just have a simple majority vote. Because obviously, they have a very simple majority. They have the slimmest possible majority you could possibly have. Literally 50% split Congress with a deciding vote in Kamala Harris's sticky little uh, cop paws still uh, covered in the blood of her enemies. So that brings us to the question, how exactly is the filibuster racist? If it's simply a matter of voting, if it's simply, and we're talking the filibuster to enable more discussion, to uh, to prohibit people from simply steamrolling through a bill to give more time for legislation maneuvering. How is this somehow racist? <laughs> How is requiring 60 votes a racist act to end debate on the bill? Well, says Elizabeth Warren, 
quote, the filibuster has deep roots in racism and it should not be permitted to serve that function or to create a veto for the minority. In a democracy, it's majority rules. So, let me just get this straight. Elizabeth Warren says that minority rules or majority rules is democracy and that this is somehow a good thing and that eliminating the need to have a filibuster and requiring 60 votes to end debate on a bill being racist, that this is a bad thing because we want to get back to a simple majority rule. Now, Elizabeth Warren has been accused of, let's say, exaggerating her Native American heritage. However, she still claims that she does have it, that she was brought up, that her her old mammy told her that she was Native American. So, Elizabeth, using that premise, the Native Americans, all right, how do you think that they have reacted over the years? How do you think they would treat the simple majority or the overarching majorities say on how they live? Do you think that once they became the minority in the country due to uh, the rampant murder of the, the conquests of the, uh, the American population in the West spreading out, of course, across the country, do you think that they were totally cool with being the minority and what happened, you know, being forced to live on reservations and being uh, really sequestered in there, having their, their lives more or less ruined by alcoholism and being uh, very, very poor, at least until the casinos rolled around, but it's still quite a bit of them, very poor. I mean, those are your people. Don't you think that they would rather have some sort of checks in there, some balances, some way to make sure that they were heard rather than just have a simple majority vote? I mean, it seems like something that I would, because as we've seen historically, tyranny and democracy go hand in hand. We've seen right now play out in politics. I mean, if there's one time in history, in the history of humanity, where you would not want to eliminate the filibuster and give a strict majority vote, it would be now when you do have people having such a deep-seated hatred, an irrational, incomprehensible disability where they can't see any point made by the other side because of the defining R or D, or because they happen to disagree with them on one single issue and instead want to see them killed, maimed, and destroyed. We want to get rid of something that could actually serve as a counterbalance to that and slow down what could be catastrophic legislation from being pushed through and foisted upon a slim majority of Americans who lost out on the last election. Such a slim minority of people that voted, or a slim majority, that it actually came down to, I think, what, 40,000 votes in a few different states? And you're saying that we should get rid of that and that these people deserve to have unrestricted legislation pushed on them by virtue of destroying the filibuster and that it is racist. Even though more people actually voted for Donald Trump, more people voted for Republican candidates that were minorities than ever in the past, but somehow it's racist to try to respect those people's wishes, right? It's racist to try to make compromise rather than running roughshod over your opponents. And I don't buy that this is somehow based in the Jim Crow era of politics. Why In the Jim Crow era, there weren't politicians enough in the Senate 
that would that would have been a couple to make this this racist. I just the whole argument is ridiculous and just smacks of the old classic democratic talking point of everything is racist that I don't agree with. Period. That's all it is. Anything I don't agree with is racist. Automatically signed, sealed, and delivered. I mean, this is absolutely fucking ridiculous. And the, the more the Democrats talk about it, it's becoming something that's like almost if you want to get into the Democratic Party as a decision maker, you have to buy in. So will we see the end of the filibuster? Quite possibly. I wouldn't be surprised. Will it be horrible for America? Quite probably. Because, you know, the pendulum always swings back and forth. You know, there's going to be now maybe, well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe HR1 will give enough people mail votes, you know, send all the idiots that are out of the government dole that have gotten all their fat stimulus checks, give all of those morons uh, automatic voting ability, send them an envelope. Not only that, but give everybody that likes to partake in mail fraud the ability to simply harvest all of the envelopes being sent out. Maybe then the Democrats will just rule forever. And this is, and in which case, you shouldn't even need to remove the filibuster, should you? But if you're going to have this HR thing passed anyway, HR1, basically you're buying out all the elections from here to the eternity. So, you know, why even go through the, the motions? But maybe they have to remove the filibuster to pass this bill. You see, it's all, it's really the dominoes falling into place to keep the totalitarian system going strong. And we are without a doubt on the path to totalitarianism, folks. Elizabeth Warren will lead the way like proud Pocahontas. All right. Um, one more thing I want to talk about is uh, just this Vogue editor. I, I just, I mean, look, I think that Vogue and Teen Vogue especially is a publication written by wokists to try to brainwash the uh, youth of America, you know, the teen lady youth of America into buying into the absolute claptrap that they've been selling. And they have been very blatant in that. I mean, God, if you read anything, not that I go around reading teen Vogue, I mean, you got, I guess you got to know what your, uh, what your stalking victims read, right? Oh, and I'm canceled. No, but not like I go around reading teen Vogue, but when I have come across an article here or there, it has been the most cringy shit you can ever imagine reading. Uh, no longer telling me tips on how to pick up Bruce by the uh, the football field. No, now it's telling me how that Bruce is a racist and how I must not consort with Bruce because football is based in racism and uh, the football is simply a black-skinned child that the white man likes to throw around for his own fun and pleasure. Uh, but no, so this woman, this incoming teen Vogue editor, Alexi McCammond, a uh, 27-year-old political writer who won a 2019 award from the National Association of Black Journalists was supposed to be the next editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. Now, she had gone and tweeted some naughty, naughty things in the past, which basically were, I don't know, some anti-Asian stereotypes. Uh, there was some anti-gay statements. But this, I don't know, these things were said when she was 17. You know, I read a couple of the tweets. They weren't anything that I would say was so heinous. Like, you know, she's not calling for uh, uh, the internment camps to be brought back. She's not saying that gays are less than human or anything like that. She wasn't making any, really any statements that were so outlandishly terrible that you would say, oh, this is clearly an evil woman. And again, she was 17. She said stupid things. She apologized for it. But now she's being canned? I mean, look, there is a certain hilarity to this. Don't get me wrong. 
There is, without a doubt, a part of me that takes great pleasure in seeing somebody that takes so much joy in telling other people that they're not good enough and that everything that they've said in the past basically dehumanizes them and makes them into a demon. Getting fired from this job, but at the same time, of course, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing for society. It's not a good thing for any of us, except playing into what I've been talking about, except that hopefully this shows people that cancel culture is idiotic. Hopefully this reminds people, like I was talking about before with this, that anybody can be gotten. You're not safe. This woman who won an award as a national black journalist, this 27-year-old rising star, submarined by people digging up some old tweets. And you know what? I guarantee it wasn't even rightists. I guarantee you this was some other leftist that went through and dug up this old shit and tanked her career. So you know what? It sucks for her. It is pretty funny. And I'm hoping it just reminds everybody that cancel culture is the worst. Speed it up, folks. Let's get some more people canceled. Let's end this thing. Nip it right in the butt. All right. That's going to do it, guys. I am uh, going to remind you at the end of the show, please do tune into our other programs, Mark Claire on Mondays with the flagship Lions Liberty Show. And of course, Finding Freedom with John Odermatt on Fridays, wrapping it up. And reminder to listen to Bravo and Beer, our hilarious comedy review show where we talk about reality TV, the imbeciles on 90 Day Fiance that marry for love, not realizing that their Russian bride is simply using them uh, and their utero wall to get into this country and fuck them good. So check that out. Bravo and Beer, anywhere you can hear podcasts or go to bravoandbeer.com. Uh, Rico has some very funny recaps he writes up on there, by the way, his Rico's diary. And as we end the show, I want to take you out as I do on the track hashtag free Ross. I think I'm going to be able to bring in a different track from Tyler Colford, longtime supporter of ours. But I think good time as I've talked about the crypto six getting uh, arrested in New Hampshire to talk about another horrible affront to justice, which is, of course, Ross Ulbricht. And uh, what has happened to him with Silk Road. Our buddy Tyler is an amazing rapper. He goes under the name Crypto Man. And he has this track. All proceeds from hashtag free Ross do go to supporting uh, freeing Ross Ulbricht. Going towards helping his mother Lynn. And getting the legal costs to try to bring some more justice to his side. Or I guess free him from the justice in which the uh, justice system figured that he was due. So check out this track. And I will see you guys next week. Hugs and kisses. Ross Albrecht is serving two consecutive life sentences plus 40 years for creating a means for individuals to anonymously make online exchanges using Bitcoin. His actions did not create victims. For nothing more than creating a marketplace, the government locked him up and threw away the keys. Let's get Ross pardoned and get victimless crimes off of the books. Hashtag free Ross. Free Ross. Free Ross. Free Ross. Slow crazy. 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 These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes And they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide New slave labor, they barely pay ya Don't care about work ethic or major In the prison system, the training criminals Doesn't matter, public or private, difference is minimal Your victimless crimes up off of the books Yeah, and those who wrote the crimes are really the crooks Decrease the population of the government slaves And let those still in the system choose where to be caged Cause a prison without prisoners a go-bell 
Philly, y'all. And if no one wants to be there, it's probably corrupt. Look, no one in the right mind wants to be.